0: welcome to the my family think some crazy podcast with us on the podcast today is author bruce de torres you can also find him on trying day the journey podcast with chris milligan past guest bruce what else you got going on where can our listeners find you and uh how can they buy your book
1: the book is available at Amazon. It's available at shrineday.com. Search my last name D E capital T O W R E S. And that's about it right now. It's it's you can pre-order it right now and then it gets released on April 22nd.
0: All right. April 22nd it'll be out. Great. Yeah, this episode will probably be out in a the beginning of april hopefully so maybe it'll line up nicely i hope but yeah, either way yeah. let's get right into it we always ask our guests this first question what was the moment maybe when you were young maybe when you're older where you started to realize that you were being lied to things weren't as they seemed
1: i'm <sighs> struggling to get it right you know um, <laughs> when i was a, a teenager a million years ago in the 1970s i read a book about the kennedy assassination that was all about you know other shooters and the warren commission was all wrong so i suspect i suspect right there i suspect right back there okay I'm a real but a but a but an inflaming kind of moment was oliver stone's movie jfk in late 91 um, but it did it didn't set me with ever a thought that i would write anything but those are those are the kind of those are the kind of big ones then 9-11 was the was the cherry on the cake when i started yeah. looking into that in 2004
0: that's when it became something of a passion project right you you kind of felt like there was a need to get into this rather than just kind of an observation?
1: I obsessed. I couldn't believe it. I told everyone, I, you know, it made it, who I could. Yeah. Yeah. So
0: I'm, for one, I can relate to the 9-11 thing. I was only in first grade when 9-11 happened. So it was really just imprinted in my mind. And it wasn't until later when I found some things on the internet and found some different books on JFK and 9-11, by the time I was looking into it, there are already books written about it. But yeah, it it, it still sticks in my mind, that image, because they brought us into the library and said, hey, there's a disaster going on. Let's see what it is. Like Turn the TV on. So I, I remember witnessing it on TV, at least if it was live. I, I don't remember Uh, But yeah, that was a big one for me. Where did the uh, impetus to start the book come from? Was it the 9-11 research? Because I know you get into school. Did you start to uh, notice things about the school system that were pointing towards a larger conspiracy? Or was this something you felt when you were actually a student?
1: Actually, the impetus for the book was uh, in the mid-90s. And it was just going to be a book about energy, consciousness, and the nature of reality. And I I worked on that for for a long, long time. And on the side, I started studying 9-11 and and went down that rabbit hole for many, many years. And it wasn't until 2014 that I decided to put the two together um, and to position the false flags and the suppressed information behind the scenes as problems solved by the truth of those events. And also the, 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 the truth of uh, the, the working theories of what reality is, what consciousness is and what our uh, eternal nature and unlimited power might be very philosophical ideas. Anyway, you know, it's tough to say I believe this, and this is absolutely certain. But boy, do those ideas uh, give me and many other people a lot of inspiration and hope and power.
0: Yeah. So how do you think this is? It's very clear there's kind of a smaller group of, of people like us who are interested in these things. The majority of people seem to be somewhat oblivious, or maybe if they're aware, they just don't have the time or interest to research it enough to have an opinion on it you know so do you think that our school system here in america plays into that kind of uh i wouldn't don't want to call it ignorance because there's a lot of cases where these folks aren't ignorant people they're just ignorant to certain things that might be more important to folks like us do you think our school system creates that mental divide
1: beyond any doubt um it's an it's 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 an incredible uh, it was an incredible discovery to uh to see the history that proves the the experience because what school produces just what, what the shape that americans are in right now um generally speaking um you, you could almost lay right at the feet of, of school. Yeah, it's, 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 it, it's designed to just make mush out of our minds and our spirits and our souls and to just destroy what we would be naturally. Free range humans, children running around curious and love with life, uh, curiosity driving uh, you know, uh, their search to understand everything, you know, learning is not something that needs to be imposed, except in the prison-like setting that is, you know, pub- public school. It's, it's horrific. Are you familiar with the work of Charlotte Iserbeet Thompson or John Taylor Gatto?
0: John Taylor Gatto, that's a name that sounds very familiar, but the first name, no, I'll be sure to uh, include those in the show notes so people can look into them, but please tell us.
1: Both of them separately wrote, did deep research on the history of public education in the United States. And basically in the late 1800s, early 1900s, the filthy rich families of the United States funded educational boards and basically took over education to turn it into what it is right now. On um, the podcast I do with Chris Milligan, we just interviewed um, John Kleizak, who wrote School World Order, which Mm -hmm. is a modern uh, update and review of Charlotte Thompson's work. And this is intense. I think her father and her grandfather or uncle were in skull and bones. and she's in her 80s now, if not 90s. okay. So back in you know decades ago, in her research about skull and bones, she saw how they were uh, deeply entrenched in the effort to control make school what it is so that they made Americans what they want us to be, which is just a, just a, a workforce groomed for their, uh, employment and ultimately to uh fit us into a global economy and move us into this transhumanist technocratic uh exp- reality, yeah, of, of uh, of with through biotechnologies and uh. Stimulus and response uh, conditioning for the last fifty years in school, intense. And, and you can follow up with me. I'm happy. Yeah, you know, I could email you like all those titles and all that stuff again any time. But, yeah. but this topic right there is such a bombshell. It's just such a glimpse behind the curtain. And any any you, anyone who's got kids and just or just remembers the the angst, the anxiety, the the nightmare, the psychological nightmare that school can be for so many. Um, Uh yeah, school,
0: yeah. (laughs) Yeah, no, I'm with you there. I remember one time a principal brought me into the office and accused me of extorting another student because I played a practical joke. I didn't know what this word meant. So I looked it up and in the dictionary, it said that it's a common tactic used by the mafia. And I'm like, this teacher is telling me I'm doing something that the mafia does. like I was so baffled. At how, you know, she treated me, you know, and this was kind of in this time where everybody got a trophy and a kiss on the shoulder and you you know, sensitivity training and all that. So maybe a different era, but I, I definitely felt as a kid, a large suspicion for the administration that was teaching me. I was always fascinated by history and science and, but I, I remember asking questions like well is the periodic table finished you know and then teacher said no no it's not finished there's there's definitely elements out there in the universe that we we still haven't found yet and you know those are the kind of answers that really cracked it open for me and and I was grateful to have some teachers that were actually kind of inspirational but what kind of devices do you think they're actually using in school because I remember uh, in the Skull and Bones book uh, that is published by Trine day he kind of details this way that they changed um how they taught kids language to make it almost more simple simplified which ended up dumbing down generations around this 1920s 30s 40s time period when the rockefellers were really integrating their programs into the american school system
1: Um what i it's great that we're talking about this because I, I just eavesdropped on i participate in the podcast that chris does as, as the host and then i do the sound editing but i get to listen to him interview john klyzak school world order um what we left was any teaching what did he call it the trivium trio yes, the grammar
0: and the trivium right pardon there's the Trivium and the Quadrivium, right? The, the the kind of liberal arts and the mathematics. They're kind of uh, like the, how the Greeks called them, right? I, I'm familiar. Trivium, yeah.
1: Well, that, I, they they just they just talked about the Trivium. The others sound of hand in glove. but The Trivium was grammar, logic, and rhetoric. Uh, and there definitely was this transformation in those decades that you mentioned and really accelerated in the 1960s into other modalities. Like I say, I've just I've really have turned our minds to mush and have made us very, very dependent on fitting into the hierarchy of school. Chris and John talked about it, the difference between they stopped teaching us how to think and rather made us memorize what to think. You know, that's brainwashing, that's propaganda, that's all all that. With all those emotional rewards. Yes, the, the new modalities included the stimulus and response and the and the and the Pavlovian kind of rewards and punishments like you alluded to, the shiny stars and the the field the field goods for give, regurgitating the appropriate response. And it's turned into this. Psychological uh, lab to to create to to create what I call thinkalikes and and you know actalikes and I love to talk about the bell curve when I talk about these kind of things. I think loosely, loosely, one man's opinion who's walked the earth for a few decades. Most people just go with the flow. So even public school, I think that most of us muddle through and at one extreme, there are those who really, really take to those rewards and punishments and move up well into hierarchies because it's training folks for hierarchical existence, which is militaristic. It's pyramidical. I will follow orders and I get to give orders, right? You can abuse me. If you're above me and I get to abuse you underneath and the and the value of the gold standard is how machine-like and efficient we can be. I don't care about your feelings, your home life, you know, whatever's going on doesn't matter. We're functioning as a machine here. And the other extreme of the bell curve school is this torture chamber for the sensitive, for folks who have completely different learning uh, modalities who are just filled with the energy of life and need to be running around the woods and the playgrounds and the neighborhoods to, to discover themselves and their bodies. And then they might crack a book when they're 10. And I've read about different groups of humans who left to be more free range. Yes, some pick up books when they're three, four, five years old and, and start mastering that. But some are just outside like, you know, wild animals having a great time and and then watching their, their, in the proverbial, these like, you know, typical scenes, helping their parents on the farm with the food and the animals and then cultivating all that. And then at 12 or 15, a book captivates them. And by the time most of most folks are around 20, they've all got the same kind of aptitudes and skills, but it came about all naturally without the The angst, the anxiety, the trauma. In my book, I say school is a trauma from which we all must heal all the exceptions of those who go up the ranks and they love to be told what to do. Yes, discipline me. Thank you. Can I have another? As long as they can exert power and domination and control on those inferiors.
0: Yeah. And I mean, you even see it with uh, that, like, uh, what's that movie called? Uh, The... Uh, the BDSM stuff, you know, these people get so sick into this kind of, and I don't want to, you know, shame anybody's kinks, but really in my own personal opinion, that's what it seems like it's coming from, this hierarchy that you're describing. And I remember uh, being in a fraternity during school, and that was exactly what it was. It was, you can abuse people below you you know, because you got abused when you were in their position. And it's like, oh, yeah, we're going to haze these guys. But it's okay because we got hazed, you know, and it's this kind of pushing that ball forward. And I've talked about it on previous podcasts, like a parade. You know, we all get into this idea like society's this parade and the people in the front have the best, you know, looking stuff, the shine, the glitter, all that. And the people in the back, they're just getting the trash you know, thrown back behind, you know, on them, you know, as they're following this parade of life through. And uh, I think really, my my reason for bringing this metaphor up is because all you have to do is just stop moving with the parade, right? When we separate ourselves from this society, and we go out free range and live the way humans are naturally supposed to be living, it has a profound change on our consciousness. Now, considering this kind of plasticity of our consciousness right they're trying to mold our consciousness through the school system so that events like the jfk assassination or the ritual that was 9-11 can be conducted without us being wise to it right i mean that's essentially what was going on how has how has uh how has jfk fit into this book because i know you go from uh from God's school jfk and 9-11 let's connect all all the dots here we got school down how does jfk fit into this
1: as, as he fits into it as a major revelation about the the powers behind the scenes um the 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 truth of his the truth the truth of his assassination you know reveals his his greatness, but it's really a moment when the the quote unquote deep state, the players behind the scenes really stepped onto the stage. You know, that was such a dramatic offense. Um, And what what you were just talking about reminded me how uh, what they inflict on us, it's trauma-based mind control. Because you can groom your victims through abuse with rewards and punishments to function the way that uh, the abusers want them to. And it's in in fraternities and sororities and it's in the military and it's in medical school training. And it's also in the MKUltra CIA programs and it is to fracture a mind, to trauma bond us to our abusers and the mind splits and compartmentalizes. So all this is happening subconsciously. So consciously, okay, I've got the job now. Okay. I'm getting promoted. I'm not looking at what my horrible corporation is doing or what my horrible military service I'm in is doing. I'm, I'm, I'm doing, I'm a good boy. I'm a good girl. I'm doing exactly what I've been raised to do. And this, this is for adults to really sit with, but the abuse, it's, it's a trauma. So JFK was a mass, I've heard people say, it, just like 9-11, and you just said it, it's a mass ritual. It's a satanic, it's an evil, it's a mass, it's a horrific, traumatic event to stun us, hurt us, injure us, and bond us to whoever comes and gives us the reward. And it reminds me of a book called Bullyocracy by Don Jeffries, which really reviews school and how it, it, it is very intentional to find those in that bell curve of humanity who will take the whipping so that they get to whip others and they can be groomed and raised up to, into great positions of power. It's, it's typified with President Gerald Ford, in my opinion, the research shows that he was um, came from so many of these people, these quote-unquote leaders come from broken homes. They come from traumatic. uh, So they they weren't raised by loving parents to have a good sense of themselves and a good value of other people. And Gerald Ford was was, uh, blackmailed and compromised by the FBI for uh, his sexual exploits there's a there's there's folks out there who write about his um you know sexual abuse of of some people and maybe even his you know pedophilia and um these become useful idiots they're, they're blackmailable see when the, so that's also part of the the trauma training is to compromise folks with these with the sick rewards of obedience and power and um but uh, to to circle back to jfk the who, he the he was he was assassinated to uh, get him out of the way cuz he was independent he was he was probably the i consider in many ways the high watermark of our american experiment of getting someone into a position of power who really was a good person who really wanted to do right and he really wanted to stop the growth of the national security state, which emerged after World War II, famously alluded to in Eisenhower's farewell address, warning us about the military and industrial complex. And he really wanted to do right by other nations. And he really wanted to create peace. He wanted to put a cork in the CIA and kind of dissolve it and change it. And ultimately, his quest for peace was threatening the growing and profitable military-industrial complex and all the billion-dollar corporations in the United States that loved all war all the time. And he wasn't going to escalate the situation in Vietnam, which was the plan throughout the 50s, developing Vietnam to be this great uh, horrific thing that it became. And that's why he was taken out in in, in a most horrific and public way to show to not only to traumatize the people, but also I think to show all successors, hey, listen, don't try to be too president. Too presidential, and no one really has ever since.
0: Yeah, no, I mean, we saw this almost um, hinting and prodding at this sense of revolution with the whole Q movement and Trump, but I think a lot of people have become really disillusioned to that who were followers of it. And I think a lot of folks in the conspiracy field already were very suspicious of it from the beginning. You know, I don't know where you stand on Trump or Q Anonymous, but I definitely think that it wasn't what JFK offered America. I think JFK actually existed in a time when America could have changed for the better. I think it may be a little too late now considering the amount of uh, the, the, the grip that they have on the average person with COVID and all these other Propaganda schemes. You see, Joe Biden's going to war. You know, it's only been a few months uh, if he even is in the White House. I don't know (laughs) if I've seen some videos, but it's all so hard to track down, which is why I appreciate going into JFK and 9 11 because we've spent so much time looking into these things. So many great minds have looked into these things that I feel like we can get our roots in these two major events to better understand exactly what's happening to the human race at this, you know, age of Aquarius, as they call it. Right. Because that's kind of what was happening in the sixties. I mean, JFK to me kind of was the embodiment of that. He represented a lot of these liberal values that have kind of gotten trashed with the neoliberal movement. But I think a lot of us are, are still holding on to hope in this, in this
1: podcasting realm. And I,
0: I don't want to turn this into a a fright fest, you know? So,
1: Well, I I want to uh, tag some things onto our segment on JFK about how inspiring it is to learn about him because he was the real deal. In a time when talk is so cheap and what is given to us by official authority is so phony, uh, the more I read and read and read and read about him, I just, it was just like pulling this never ending rope. Like he was this good. He was this consistent. He was this sane. He was this rational. He was this benevolent. He was this calm, cool, collected and kind and funny. And it to read about him is to balloon with all the the hope and inspiration that um, humans need in order to fight the good fight and also to be sane and also to say, Hey, listen, you know, Live and let live and love thy neighbor as thyself and do unto others as you'd have them do unto you uh, is the stuff of life and it's the stuff of harmony. And to see that Kennedy knew pushing against the CIA and pushing against the Pentagon, he was resisting people who kill to win. And he did it anyway. And you could discuss his, his psych- psychology of 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 you know his priorities but as you know as there can be really 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 evil 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 criminals and psychopaths who do the most evil evil stuff kennedy is among the folks that if anyone qualifies for the extreme opposite of being so good that they approach you know as good as a human could be what do you call that sainthood that's that's for us to debate that's for us to play with words poetically around a fireplace at night but the point obviously i'm making is for an inspiration of finding a backbone for instance twice just twice in the last few weeks i've dared to walk into a grocery store without a mask just twice it's been a long year just twice because I can't be the guy who wrote this book and put on, and put on the mask and it's not political. And today it's been politicized, you know, no, I've, I've looked at as a lay person, I've looked at all that I could about what different doctors and scientists, how they're interpreting the medical literature. And I'm resolved that I'm not sick. And, if you're sick, a mask on me or you isn't going to help. That's what I think I've learned about viruses. That's what how simple it comes down to. Okay? You you don't feel safe? You want to wear a mask? Uh, that's not my business. It's your face. It's your oxygen. I don't care. If I'm afraid of you, I'll stay away from you. If you're afraid of me, stay away from me. But unfortunately, when you go into a store and everyone's wearing a mask, I instantly revert back to you know a scared kid in the hallways of school too and that kind of peer pressure whatever is intense hearts pounding you know but if kennedy could ride in open limousines when he knew that there was some assassination of threat you know uh, threats around him every now and then i can try and go into a store without a mask oh by the way both times i went in nobody said a thing and I live in Northeast New Jersey, where it's very, very crowded and populated. Maybe I've just gotten lucky. It's been two for two. And I, I was very excited about that.
0: Well, there you go. Yeah, we were actually just in uh, Morristown to see um, my boss, Sam Tripoli. So he was doing comedy out there at a, a club called Tiff's. Uh, it's like a restaurant slash comedy club. But uh, Far
1: from here. that's
0: great. Yeah, that was uh that was nice. Yeah. I'm I live in Connecticut. Right now I'm in Indiana, but I, I have a similar kind of atmosphere where I live with the mask situation. And the way I see it is there's so many gas stations in my town that they're never gonna get me to wear a mask in a gas station because I'll just pick another one. So I've I pretty much don't wear the mask in the gas station. That's kind of my everyday place I go to. And then the grocery store is tough, man, because the Whole Foods I go to—it's like that kind of mindset where they're all believing everything Rachel Maddow says, so, or whoever else it is, the Tucker or uh, Anderson Cooper, whoever else, you know. So, I, I definitely feel like it's a soft protest that we all need to start taking. And and what you realize is when you don't wear the mask, you inspire other people to take it off. As like just in the gas station, I see, you know. When I don't have it on, other people go ahead and just pull it down to their chin, like, oh crap, this is the party where nobody's wearing the mask. Cool. I cause the peer pressure works both ways, you know. And I think that that's that's just as important. And and yeah, man, I mean, who knows? You take off the mask, maybe it'll lead to, to reading a new book and, and opening your world up to what's really going on. Now, to kind of transverse JFK from 9-11, we have a massive crime going on in broad daylight against the president. Now, 9-11 was a massive crime within the largest, right? Other than LA, right? The largest city in the United States, probably the largest population. Um, And then it happens to the American public via a president. The president was at least knowledgeable of what was going on. I mean, you can just look at the what he was doing that day, reading that book to those kids and having them read aloud uh, some kind of weird chant about a paper airplane. I mean, it really goes down to uh, synchronistic levels when you really analyze it. So 9-11 can be kind of a mixed bag. I've heard theories as crazy as lasers shot down the towers, Uh, the more, credible ones are are either uh you know planned demolition or you know where do you stand on the physical uh you know breaking down of the towers or do you just revert to like the the 9-11 guys the uh, commission guys
1: oh i i am persuaded those were controlled demolitions all right um by by explosives um I've learned that a lot of those other ideas and theories are disinformation from uh, people in the shadows in order to make the questioning, the official story sound lunatic. Oh, a bunch of lunatics, you know, um, let's just try to stick with the facts and the evidence. But uh, those were controlled demolitions, meaning it was an inside job, meaning it wasn't, you know, planes don't cause buildings to do that. So, and I go into depth, I examine all this in my book to make the point, okay, what does it tell us about the state of affairs that it was allowed or helped to happen by our government? And then we were told this huge lie and we were railroaded into this war on terror and we're a country that starts war on nonsense reasons and... It's so obvious to say it's all for the money and it's all for the global domination. It's all for the resource control. And it's in It's really like, you know, and, before, you know, to, to the Americans who believe what they see on television, Oh, it's Islamic terrorists that did it. And I've got to be scared of everyone in a turban and brown skin and, They could be, you know, they could be anywhere. I got to look out for shooters and bombs all over the place. Again, traumatize the heck out of us, drive us into our homes, scared, be protected. That's what it's all about. It's about capping our creativity and our energy to be creative, let alone throw the bums out and force, hold government accountable for for its crimes. Have you heard of a book called... The most dangerous book in the world, 9-11 as Mass Ritual. Yes, by uh, Ken Bain, right? Yes, have you got have you read it?
0: No, I mean I've got a I've got a couple books by it from Trine day. That's one that I haven't opened up
1: yet. <laughs> That's that takes 9-11 to it shines such a light on stuff that is amazing about. The, uh, the details in it, the, n- the numbers in it, and the timing of it pretty much prove that it was a, it was a satanic, public satanic ritual yeah. to, to traumatize us and to dedicate, to commemorate the launch of a great effort. We'll say evil, we'll say satanic, the war on terror, et cetera, et cetera. And that's what the people behind those scenes and shadows, how they really, really work. Um, because blood sacrifices are how they practice their religion. You know, it used to be goats, or it used to be, oh, you drink a little wine, you eat a wafer, but to, to the beliefs of the, the real people behind the scenes and the richest and the ones at the top, it's with blood sacrifices, and, and, a lot, and a lot of the research puts the same players behind the scenes creating wars for the sake of killing. Killing is... Part of how they, yeah, how they celebrate what they're about to do. It it blesses the their efforts of more world domination and more uh, slavery and more resource uh, theft from different countries. I'm trying to make light of it because holy smokes, is it, it's, it's intense. It's intense, and the solution is to rely on our our, our connecting in any way, shape, or form. Um, because we enough enough humans, more than enough humans, love life, want to raise healthy, happy kids, want to take care of our old, you know, and dying parents, and appreciate nature and how cute bunnies are when they hop in the grass. That's that's really good. We like that. Enough of more than enough of us like that. If we could wake up from the hypnosis, from the spell that. The 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 sick and twisted ones who have power and program us with their content. Um, that's what that's what we're up against. That's what we're dealing with. That's that's what we're dealing with. I believe.
0: Yeah, and then that's the natural order of things, I think. And what we're really seeing is this parasitic influence on the planet. I think if this parasite was gone with, you know, and and done with, then the earth would go back to this natural order where things are more harmonious and love is the primary directive, you know, and I think that's how nature operates. I mean, when I was a kid, I was fascinated with being out in the woods. I had, you know, I was blessed with this kind of backyard that was its own little private kind of closed in forest. And I really became myself there. And one of the things that I, that always stuck with me from learning about nature was the process of symbiosis and how animals adapt to help each other i mean you have all these species that are completely dependent on each other like from a tiny little fish that eats the bacteria off the belly of a shark you know you'd think two by themselves you put them in a tank the shark would kill the fish but no the the fish and the shark are essential uh and it, the examples are limitless any environment in the on the earth has examples of this symbiosis and i think that humans being so complex we've got quite a bit of evolving to do on the mental spheres you know and i think that leads into our spiritual development and i think that this parasitic entity has to do these mass rituals to kind of exert its energy uh like a pinprick in the in the earth's you know Acupuncture, you know, they're they're trying to stab this, the the bad places, you know, and when things like uh, obelisks and pyramids, when they're turned on, they're activating the the energy of the earth. So, how do you think all of this fits into to the mass rituals and God and consciousness? Do you think that they're, you know, their low frequency attempts are gonna last do you think that ultimately human beings are are going to evolve past this kind of time where we have this ruling elite big question wow. <laughs> well taylor hold on
1: <laughs> i'm committed to talking myself into uh, hope and and cheerfulness um so, you know, your guess is as good as mine, you know, even if we had, you know, had read the exact same books and seen the exact same lectures and, and documentaries, it's very, very personal, you know, because um, uh, if reality is what I hope and, and think it is, it is love. It is energy. It is a unified consciousness. This is something of an illusion. Um, and uh, the, those who want power over others uh, are the parasites in your in your are in your metaphor, and uh, that's very seductive to uh, a percentage of us. Power over others, you can you can increase their numbers by traumatizing people. Then they get a dig, they can be uh, seduced by the pursuit and the love and the rewards and perks of power. Um, life, life will go on. I don't know if it'll go on on this planet. Life will go on. I don't know if, if you know, human destiny. We have, we have to. It feels good, and it's empowering to imagine that uh, good conquers evil and love. You know, is the answer, and it will find a way. And those are not trite statements. Those are um, decisions because. Folks like Bobby Kennedy after the death of his brother. John F. Kennedy, I think, committed to being so good day by day because of his massive health problems his whole life. I suspect he literally lived as if today might be my last functioning day of good health. So I'm going to do the right thing no matter what. I don't have to worry about an assassination attempt tomorrow because I might die in my sleep tonight. Um, almost literally. And then how Gandhi approached things and how Martin Luther King approached things, it becomes its own imperative to just be and do good right here, right now. Now the mystics will say, yes, yes, yes. We need to do that because it's all vibration and it's all a choice. And what we focus on, we give energy to. We help create any scenario. So, um, to love and trust. Period. Right now, every moment, I'm already I'm improving the universe. You're feeling my vibe. Uh, relative quantum physics implying what it implies. Me in first grade a million years ago is feeling my vibe right now. The old man I might become is feeling my vibe right now. Abraham Lincoln is feeling my vibe right now. Um, And when you read around that and read and and just read all that encourages us to look at things like that, Mark and Taylor, we can get pretty fired up. And we can we can be like John Lennon, who said the system will try to piss you off. It'll flick your beard and hit you in the nose to try to get you violent because then it knows how to handle you. What it doesn't know how to handle is nonviolence and humor. And that's the best answer I, I have for a great topic or question to explore like. What do we do, given the state of the world? That, that's really very personal. And we have to find love and encourage ourselves to be like our heroes, whoever got us this far, and to treat each other like our, our, our heroes uh, with the intention of enjoying this experience, whatever it is.
0: Absolutely, yeah. I, I think one of the things that drew me to my favorite podcast, Tinfoil Hat, was the humor. I mean, Sam Tripoli, as a comedian of 20 years, he talks about all these deep subjects with intelligent folks like you. And he adds that humor element. And he's such a genuine guy that you feel like you're in the conversation with him, And you're kind of fearing all this stuff out with him, you know, and, and it's essential to have that humor involved, because, you know, these things can really wear at you. Uh, when you start researching them you know 9-11 JFK it's dark stuff but out of all the research you've done on JFK you know I too find a lot of inspiration in him what's one thing we can leave the listeners with that you've learned about JFK maybe like a quote or, or something that happened uh, when he was still alive that it's really particularly moving to you
1: there's a, there are a number of quotes, things he wrote, things he said along the lines of having courage. He wrote profiles in courage. He said, you know, we, we do what we must, despite peer pressure and despite society. On the humorous side, he liked to repeat this, this uh, refrain or, or whatever, whatever it is. Three, three things are real. God human folly and laughter. The first two are unknowable. We must do what we can with the third. Uh, he, so he was lighthearted and um, and uh, also his humility. Ah, here it is. Because he suffered so much with his physical ailments and his injuries um, and lived in constant pain for, the, for, for much of his life, definitely the last portions of his life. Um, Uh, the self-control and also the the grace under that, that suffering, I think caused him, there are a lot of stories of the compassion that he had for others. He had a lot of compassion uh, for others. And yet he did have a, he had a backbone of steel when it came to uh, the decisions that he had to make. He was, he was humble. He gave, he gave, uh, you know, Hoover at the FBI and Dulles at the CIA a chance. He, Listened to their advice. He listened to the chairman of the, you know, the the joint chiefs of staff for the first few few months in the first year. And he realized, wow, they really are trying to twist him, the president, into doing what they want. And he and he was up for that battle. And it was a heck of a crucible. So it's the courage to 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 not quit. He may have even, you know, he 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 was a human. He suffered, you know. He cried. He talked to his father on the phone that first year about, this is this is incredible, you know. We don't know the exact words. So he was a human, but at the same time, who, who were his heroes? You know, he had his heroes. He's one of mine, you know. And and Gandhi had his heroes, and Martin Luther King had his, and it's it, these are the, these are the questions that it that it comes comes down to is who are you going to be what are you going to stand for and even if you have to stand alone can you do it and no one can make those decisions for us no one can judge the decisions anybody else makes this is life life can be very very challenging and terrifying and, and um connecting with each other is the best that we can do to to make us feel like hey we're in the same we're, we're we're in the same thing right we're up to the same thing trying to get through this human life and enjoy it together and empower each other uh along the way and that's Orson Welles supposedly had this quote, we live alone, we die alone, we live our whole lives alone. And it's only with the love we share with friends that we can create for a moment the illusion that we're not alone. Well, if that's true, then conversations like this are actually you know, loving relationships. That's how precious they are, if that's really what's going on.
0: Yeah. Wow. you have anything you want to add? You're good. I, I'm thinking a lot about you know, consciousness right now, and how, you know, JFK made this decision, right, to do good, and the impression it's left is so strong, you know, all they, all they did was take away his physical body, but he will be immortal, you know, they took away his brother's body, they took away, you know, his son, you know, all these people in his family that had such tragedy, but To this day, his life has been documented probably more than any president. I don't know if that's a fact, but I will say that I've seen so many JFK books perusing through a bookstore, uh, conspiracy or not. And I think that that's important. I mean, if there's any way to be immoralized through uh, these stories that we tell about each other, you know, he will uh, live up with the gods, so to speak, you know. But I, I think this has been a great conversation. I, I think we're kind of coming to an hour here. But is there anything you want to add to, uh, to close off this conversation? Uh, maybe about your book or any of the topics we talked about?
1: Well, I want to ask you, how long have you been doing this podcast?
0: Well, I started podcasting about a year ago, but I started this podcast uh, in October. So this will be our 26th episode, I believe.
1: How many, how often do you do an episode?
0: Usually once a week uh, lately, now that we're in the swing of things, but, uh, but I, I'm hoping to do it more often. And, um, uh, and yeah, yeah.
1: <laughs> nice, nice, nice. And, uh, do, do you disseminate it on the usual platforms? You have, uh, the one place that you put it that puts it out on the uh, on the, the directories, they call it, or something?
0: Oh, yeah. Uh, MyFamilyThinksI'mCrazy.com is where you can right. find everything, and that'll right. basically show you all the apps you can find us on. But, yeah, we're on iTunes and all the other ones.
1: Because the main place that you work out of, it puts it on all those other kind of things, right?
0: Yeah. Why? did you yeah. Were you worried about uh, working out some of that? Because I could help you with those details if you need some hosting.
1: Because I do help Chris with his, and I was confirming my impression, and I'm trying to find the time to improve what what I do, you know, for him and for the, and for that. So Absolutely. and I just and I and I hadn't had the time to study and get those questions for myself about you and your and and, and uh, your your podcast. I, I looked at it, a, you know, a few weeks ago when you first when we first started talking about me being on.
0: Yeah, well, I mean, I'll tell you I'll tell you more about it off air, but I'm definitely interested in helping out i'm, I'm doing a, a kind of uh project right now for just that so but, yeah, man. where uh where can our listeners find your book again and um anything else you want to plug obviously trine day the journey podcast with chris milligan i think you do a great job this podcast has been great i think uh it, it definitely is going to help. I can see why you're the editor because, you know, I, editing these podcasts, there's so many ahs and ums, but you're just like a professional radio voice, like no ums, no ahs. You sound great, Bruce. I mean, it's really uh, going to please my editor for sure.
1: <laughs> <laughs> that's that's great. Um, There's an um. My book is at Amazon.com. It's at tryingday.com. And the podcast is at trying You click on episodes and you'll find all the episodes. I'm, I just introduce Chris and, and that week's guest. He's interviewing his past authors. We've been doing it since August. It's mind blowing. And Mark, you could, you could find all, you could reach out to all those authors. Oh, I've sent you. We, yeah. You're trying to, yeah, you're, you're in the process. I'm juggling a lot. It's all good.
0: No, it's all right. I actually was going to get to you on that too, but, uh, Thanks for listening to the My Family Thinks I'm Crazy podcast. Please go support Bruce De Torres. Check out his book. Check out Trine Day. Check out the awesome podcast he's helping out with. And uh, enjoy your day. All right. And now.